right, we're going to do, this is part two of, we're just going to jump kind of into it. If you have not watched part one or listened to part one of this, you'll want to do that because this one probably won't make a whole lot of sense for you because we're going to talk about the theolo- the theological context of premillennialism. And what that means is just giving you just a basic argument for it. It seems like so many people um, have accusations for it or they falsely represent it. And then self-admittedly, there's a lot of black eyes in the doctrine of premillennialism um, that a lot of people have completely misrepresented it and just kind of unfortunately turned it to a view that a lot of people don't even want to consider uh, anymore and they just completely reject it but I obviously think very different I think that's completely wrong I think the Bible is very clear on these things and I believe that this is what the early church fathers and the apostles taught. Because it's what you and see in scripture. It's exactly what I see in scripture. And this just gives kind of a, the, this article here is going to give us a good, under somewhat good understanding, I guess, of um, the, the context of it. And why it's biblical and why it's understood this way in the um, the proof and verses behind it. And we've really been going on this whole, all of this, honestly, is in this end time series that we're doing. Because we had tried a few times to get going with this end times um podcast that you guys have been asking about and it is the thing that Brandon is most passionate about so he was so excited that other people wanted to hear more about it and we've done a lot of these and you need to listen to them well and that's what I was going to say is because it's really more even than there's one that we specifically did that's kind of like the intro to this one here but really it's all of these because the one before this was the covenant theology versus dispensationalism Um, we've been talking about discussing the end times church with the new apostolic reformation um discussing stuff like the come on jeff durbin with the kingdom end times teaching um we've discussed it in the discussing the end times church the role of the mega church um we really have a handful here that have come out um what's their view of the kingdom even going into the theology refs and looking at stephen furtick of elevation church and what he teaches because that's this watered down gospel sharing about this american gospel that uh, everybody, you know, is kind of getting bought up into. So honestly, we've got a handful of, especially our, I'm kind of just scrolling through our recent, um, our recent podcasts. And honestly, the good majority of these really do, um, kind of get, yeah, kind of revolve around this end times umbrella anyways. So we broke down, the difference between covenant theology um, and then the view of dispensationalism and where obviously we fall. Um, we shared, you know, what covenant theology teaches and then um, the difference, you know, to contrast that from what the um, dispensationalist view on things would be. And so today, I guess it's just more so a breakdown, you know. So again, if you haven't listened to that first one, this is just going to be kind of, you know, odd because we went over a lot of different things in that that re- that were related to this. And like Heidi said, we've done a lot of podcasts lately, revol- you know, around this topic, specifically the the one that that Durbin did, um, 
about you know premillennialism and talking about it and he just completely trashed it and didn't give it a legitimate view and that just kind of got under my skin a bit so I was like well I guess apparently we've got to this is something that I wanted to do anyway it was just I guess the timing of this kind of came out of nowhere um, and now we're doing it so so off we go. Yeah, off we go. Off we go. And then what we, the resources that we use here today, we're going to go ahead and link, obviously, below. So you may follow them, and I encourage you to, even if you don't agree, go and read them if you want to. Or just Definitely. consider them, pray on them. Well, yeah, because the importance is, I mean, none of us want to be ignorant to to anything. And um, so we want to look and we want to, you know, seek wise counsel. We want to pray over things. We want to search scripture and, and look at these things and see where everything falls. You yeah, know, look, even if we <clears throat> and I think part of the goal here, too, with this is to to look and say okay i don't believe that this is what the bible says i don't think this is what the bible teaches it just makes zero sense to me however i will respect somebody else's viewpoint i i i understand them i very much respect them and i hold a um i hold you know i look at them with an open hand saying okay well it's a possibility i'm i'm just man Right, I could be wrong. One of us has to be wrong. Yeah, I mean, only one way is correct. Sort. Yeah, these these sorta. ways. Uh, but, but at the same time, yeah. it's not because there's two those two views I've highlighted before of how you view um, whether you know if you're covenant theology versus dispensationalist. Um, just those two different kind of viewpoints. I pointed out before that they should they should always just kind of marry together in the middle. You should always just not be proud or haughty that you have the right answer, you know, and that this is the absolute way that it is. But both of us in, at the end of the day believe the same core things about who Christ is, about what he accomplished, about the total depravity of man. I mean, we, we agree on all those points. We agree that there is in no way man can bring about any sort of you know um well i'll be careful (laughs) (laughs) i was waiting to see where you're going with that because i was like i'll be careful but at the end of the day let me just say let me just wrap that up by saying at the end of the day we should just agree to disagree and do the kingdom work we both agree that um that christ did definitely bring in the kingdom now, I totally view it different than the other side does. I'm, I believe that we are waiting for a full realization of this kingdom and a literal fulfillment of these prophecies. But even if you don't, I still recognize the fact that, that Christ is king and he is at the right hand of the Father ruling and reigning currently. I recognize that. Of course, amen. He's just not on the Davidic throne. Sorry. Because he's Sorry, not guys, in Jerusalem not right thing. now. <laughs> it's not the same thing. But, it's, you know, like I said, it's it's trying to find common ground with somebody that views um, with the opposition. And I wanted to, it, you know. But yesterday we talked about all the opposing stuff. We talked right. about one side views this, one side views this. These are some of the general opposition statements, thus the statements that, 
Jeff Durbin of Apologia Church in Arizona made in the video clip that we shared on the Come On Durbin um, podcast episode, and then some uh, uh, comments and stuff that had just been made to us kind of in this area anyways. So I just want to give up my explanation of why, and I think there's some learning that can, you know. Well, and your point here isn't, hey, believe this because I said it, so therefore go believe it. You're saying, no, let's look at scripture. Let's take an honest read of it and what it says. Does it mean what it say like how do how do we take this what do we do um and kind of look through it and give some resources so that way people can further their learning and understanding and god can work through them and you know do all of the things that he does so it's not about us it's not about your opinion it's not about your interpretation right everybody always likes to throw that at you mm-hmm. no it's let's read our bibles and see what it says and live our life accordingly that's what it's about so that's what we're doing All right, so since we already gave a lot of the opposition and then the definitions and things like that, we are just going to jump right in. Um, We, Brandon found, not we, I don't, unless you had a mouse in your pocket. (laughs) Brandon found this, um, he has, you guys, I've told you in the last one, but the amount of resources this man has collected over the past few years of his just right ridiculous pursuit of study is kind of, kind of intimidating honestly but he was um he pulled up this one by it's on bible.org but it's the theological context of premillennialism so that's what we are going to talk about today um in case just a summary but i'll say it because he'll use big words and confuse everybody but we hold to the view it's called dispensationalism and then you really want to get specific with it so it's pre-millennial dispensationalist is what we would be but that's where we hold to a very literal interpretation of scripture you hear us say it all the time we believe that it says what it means and it means what it says um a very literal interpretation there are many promises and prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled and they will be fulfilled here in the near future we see pieces falling together all the time we believe that there will be a rapture of the church followed by a seven-year tribulation period um, that is all for the jews it's the the 70th week um, in the time of jacob's mourning uh, or great trouble I don't know why I said morning. Jacob's trouble. <laughs> That's why I don't know why I said morning. I, I was um, eating a piece of bread, so I didn't correct it. Yeah, it was I was. I trouble. guess I was confused by watching you eat bread that I didn't. I don't know. I got confused. Anyways, uh, <laughs> the time of Jacob's trouble. I don't know why we're so confused here. Um, and then there will Somebody be. You got a mouse in your pocket. <laughs> I didn't. I'm eating bread. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, rapture of the church. Time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week there with the seven-year tribulation of the church um, and all of the those things that will, will go down and happen there. And then there will be the second coming of Christ at the end of that where he will come back. We the, that have been raptured will come back with him and um, he will come down and he will set up his kingdom and he will reign for a thousand years here on the earth. So that is the, the nut and bolt of that. All right. Anything else you want to add to that before we dive into the article? No. I know the article covers like a ton of this stuff. The article covers it. Just a, we found this is a good way to organize like the ridiculous amount of information all this stuff is to cover. So it says, the oft-repeated charge that premillennialism is only a dispute over the interpretation of Revelation 20 is both understatement and a serious misrepresentation of the facts. Because that's what most people will go to is how Mm. you... um, look at revelation 20 right correct the thousand years is is usually 
one of the first places it'll say that this is your only basis for the kingdom and for the millennium was in the thousand years yeah where the angel descending from heaven holding in his hand the key to the abyss and a huge chain he sees the dragon the ancient serpent who is the devil and let satan me, and tied him up for a thousand years let me note that this article was probably this was written when you were only a few years old or no you weren't even born yet when this article was written so oh this yeah is how 1985 yeah <clears throat> that's crazy yeah the so reproduced here without, yeah, this is crazy. definitely not a new view i mean this is something that was older they had written about it and it's funny because none of the things that pre-millennialism holds to like none of the huge huge things have happened happened even back then yet yeah um even regarding israel and different like, yeah yeah you look at the state of things now the, and it's crazy. it's crazy well and this is one of our frustrations is because you look at the way the world stage is being set up right now and it's falling perfectly in line with scripture you know all of these things as god does he said they would happen you see him happening and then you look at some of these other uh theology i mean not that they're complete theology but you know these other views of things and it's like then how do you explain this and so often it's something like, well, it's coincidence. Well, it's, you know, whatever. And it's like, but there is Well, isn't. the interesting fact about it is, is back, I talked about the the black eyes of premillennialism before. Yep. And the left behind being that. And, you know, the, the, the world wasn't in a state ready for that yet. So mm-hmm. when that came out, that, that just seemed incredibly crazy. And everybody's waiting for it any minute because it seemed like, you know, the world was, you know, it seemed like the world stage was set at that point. Gosh, and that compared to now, forget it. Well, yeah, I mean, that was how long ago? Yeah, I mean, 20 years. And unfortunately, it misrepresented a lot of things. It took a lot of kind of ridiculous priorities in it. Um, but there's some truth to some of that stuff. Yeah. That, that became more apparent later on even more so recently yeah where if this viewpoint is correct which i believe scripturally it is i think this is exactly what scripture says and i believe that this is falling in not every little you know snake in the wall prophecy but there's some there's some interesting notes here of realities that are happening in the world that match up with a premillennialist view, and it's not sensational, crazy, left behind anymore. Now it's kind of like, like this is really no, happening. This is seriously, yeah. it kind of looks like this is exactly what it says right here, and you can go to a bunch of different. So it, it's it's making it kind of difficult to me. It seems to to, keep, to keep explaining e- away, expli- keep it ex- not being exactly. This. That's exactly my point. Yeah. You know, it's getting more difficult to say, no, that's ridiculous. And then we do get the charge, and we are completely guilty of it, another black eye in our viewpoint, that we're just Zionist worshiping people nat- naturally because of, you know, I mean, it's, it's almost like a... Um, you know sentiment because of the holocaust so now so we, we just worship we go israel ahead and just worship and israel just and just because. let them mm-hmm. do we support them blindly what, no matter blindly what. no matter what yeah and we are guilty of that in mm-hmm. some that is in, huge within the christian community 
Yeah, I mean, and it makes no sense. Cause and I think works. our Western politics. Oh yeah, they're off. Have been shaped off of that. Yeah. And that's I'm not. See, I'm not into all that. Like that's not. I'm like no, that's that's wrong. I'm I'm like the hardcore pre millennialist that said, yeah, this stuff is prophesied. This is just Israel becoming whores with the nations all over again. That's yeah. exactly what they. So there's nothing to say. Oh, Israel, you're awesome. Just like any, you know, just yeah, like everything America. right now with Israel, they are not godly. No, they are in absolutely unbelief. not, and they're in complete unbelief. The and only reason why we believe that there's any validity to that at all is the fact that God, we believe that God in Ezekiel, that God said that he would bring, and in Jeremiah and in many of the Old Testament prophets, I get charged a lot of time for, okay, you want scripture for my claims and my viewpoints? So it's, it's a lot of prophecy and it's a lot of full books that you have to know and understand and be able to put in context, be able to separate historically who, you know, it, there's a lot of, of things that you have to do uh, in that, that you have to understand. So it's not just, you know, throwing stuff out there. Um, uh, but we believe that Israel would be brought back into the land in unbelief. Yep. So God could bring them back into final judgment before the time of the the second advent of the Messiah. And we believe that this is what Jesus is referring to when he in through many of his parables referring to this age where he goes away and then comes back and it's this kingdom age, then this literal thousand year period. This is what's being denied, made fun of, misrepresented, so I'll quit blabbling about it and go ahead and just let you start off in the article. But, yeah, I did want to note that. And, like you said, go listen to all of our other stuff because this will not make sense to you. It will frustrate you, and it will cause you to probably send a message of just confusion if you're just picking this up now. So it goes on to say, op opponents of premillennialism delight to point out that the reference to the thousand years is found only in Revelation 20. Warfield observes in a footnote, once and only once, in the New Testament we hear of a millennium. The issue of premillennialism pre cannot be so simplified. The issues are neither trivial nor simple. Premillennialism is rather a system of theology based on many scriptures and with distinctive theological context. The reckless charge of Landis European premillennialism is based only on Ezekiel 40 through 48, and that American premillennialism is based only on Revelation 21 through 7, is as unfair as his more serious charge that actually their bases are both contra biblical and that premillennialism is a fungus growth of first century Pharisaic. Rabbinism. That's the thing a lot of people say. That's pretty much what uh, Jeff Durbin was saying. He was like, when I went to my, when I was first going through Bible school, my first, um, or no, when I was first coming to the Lord, my first Bible study was. Uh, yeah, like the first time he went to, to church. His, yeah, his first Bible study was watching Left Behind. I'm like, then that's not a Bible study. I'm like, that's an. But he was <laughs> making watching. an example of how ridiculous premillennialism is because mm -hmm. he is he's been experienced with the premillennial view. Yes, but he represent he represents it 
by the one of the biggest black eyes that we have and doesn't give a true acknowledgement to this view so that's that's exactly what continues has has happened and everybody pushes this view off as just oh this is a new doctrine this is 1900 nobody believed this continue on most opponents of premillennialism have enough perspective to see that premillennialism has its own biblical and theological context and that its origin in the early church as well as its restoration in modern times is based on biblical and theological studies. Again, that was our issue in point, and sh- the only reason why you shared that come on Durbin one, it wasn't to rag on Apology and Not rag on Jeff Durbin. It was the fact that he said that these things had no truth, no biblical backing, sure. no nothing. And then when I and made that the comment, was the issue of no 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 when I, yeah and when I made the comment about that that he would treat me like no he really I respect him as a teacher and he is a very very intelligent man but he just is so unfair and if not I don't know I have to be careful and hold my tongue about what I say about it but I I, I just do not appreciate it about it about him in the ministry because. You know, like I said, it's just an unfair charge. It's one thing to have an opposing view. Sure. And he is correct by what he says when he says that the dangers of that premillennialism has have caused has been enormous. And it's caused many people to turn away from the faith. But they didn't really have faith to begin with. Yeah, but that so wasn't that, that really, the biblical but, view was wrong still, is what people did it with didn't it. didn't give people a good representation of the gospel this is you know a a good you know a a good idea of what it was all about and if this that was our first thing and then that like they're like really like this is this is built on nothingness and they wouldn't pursue it further but at the same time he needs to acknowledge that there is extreme extreme problems on his viewpoint with his with the extremes of his viewpoint just as there is with mine ours and he does not acknowledge that he just it's one-sided it's usually just trashing on one and giving it no no basis so so it says it is the purpose of this phase of the study of premillennialism to examine the general features of premillennial theology in contrast to opposing views. So again, let's look at these opposing views, let's weigh them scripturally, and see where you think the most logical answer lies. Mm-hmm. Premillennialism involves a distinctive principle of interpretation of scripture, a different concept of the present age, a distinct doctrine of Israel, and its own teaching concerning the second advent and millennial kingdom. So first, the principles of premillennial interpretation. The literal, grammatical, historical method applied to eschatology. The debate between premillennialarians, is that how you said it? Premillennialarians yeah, yep, and yep. the millennialarians hangs to a large extent upon the principles of interpretation of scripture, which each group employs. This is commonly recognized by all parties. The all-millennialist states, or Albertus Peters states, the question 
whether the Old Testament prophecies concerning the people of God must be interpreted in the ordinary sense as other scriptures are interpreted or can properly be applied to the Christian church is called the question of spiritualization of, pro of prophecy. This is one of the major problems in biblical interpretation and confronts everyone who makes a serious study of the word of God. It is one of the chief keys to the difference of opinion between premillennialist and the mass of Christian scholars. The former reject such spiritualization, the latter employ it. And as long as there is no agreement on this point, the debate is fruitless. In principles of interpretation, the crux of controversy is revealed. And again, that's what so much of this comes to between this premillennial dispensationalist view and then like covenant theology and um, what was the other one? Uh, with the everything in happening in 70 AD. What's that word? Preterism. There you go. So, yeah, so you look at these other guys who say that, no, your mic's off again. You look at these other guys that say that everything is spiritualized, it's not a literal happening, but somehow it was already fulfilled by some spiritualized something they've mm -hmm. come up with and put together, but not the literal way that it's written in Scripture. Like, that's the literal way it's going mm -hmm. to happen, but it was some spiritual story. The premillennial position is that the Bible should be interpreted in its ordinary grammatical and historical meaning in all areas of theology unless contextual or theological reasons make it clear that this was not intended by the writer. Amillennialists use the literal method in theology as a whole but spiritualize scripture whenever its literal meaning would lead to a premillennial viewpoint kind of true <laughs> they do it's amazing the stuff that it's like so you'll take that literal but when right. it says this here that gets spiritualized that, right exactly in that that's happening i mean that that's just one of the problems of that viewpoint listen premillennialism does have its holes and does have its its problem verses just as the the view of of you know kingdom the kingdom now theology or supersessionism um, you know, these types, of, they do, th those also have their very large holes. And this is just why I feel that this is a more biblical interpretation of it. Well, the process was more, yeah, what, what, what do you take when you take and you weigh everything? What makes the most sense? sense? Right. You know, so if I'm going and I'm looking at over here and I've got a million verses popping up going, whoa, 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 those things don't reconcile. Mm -hmm. And I look over here and I go, eh, maybe that reconciles a little bit better. Well, which one reconciles like, like the, the best? We don't understand everything. The charge that they always give it is that it's like it takes away from what Christ accomplished on the cross. Which I don't see. Which I don't see how it does at all. I think that. It, I think it, if you have a bad or a poor understanding of what this actually is, that you could believe it, that right, that's what correct. it does. If, but I don't think if you truly understood right. and were studied on this, you would still have but that But the view. problem is, is you're probably not not going to understand it if you hold to replacement theology because this Absolutely holds not. you still are going to need to hold a place for Israel and understand Jewish customs understand yeah um, Hebrew understand a lot of these concepts and even then even if you do understand those concepts there's people that still disagree with it but still if most most of the time you understand these contexts you know that this is you can see this clearly in the Old Testament. You can see that this was promised throughout the prophets, this time period. And then you can see that this fits only in the the thousand-year kingdom where it's promised that, that there's a resurrection of people that are ruling and reigning with Christ. 
So it says, this is obviously a rather subjective principle and open to manipulation by the interpreter to sustain almost any system of theology. The conservative amillennialist claims to confine spiritualization to the field of prophecy and interpret other scripture revelation literally. Thus, a conservative amillennialist would accept literally pass except literally passages teaching the deity of Christ, the substitutionary atonement, the resurrection of Christ, and similar doctrines. They would denounce as heretics anyone who would tamper with these fundamental doctrines, as the father of amillennialism origin most certainly did. Conservative amillennialists would, however, feel perfectly justified in proceeding to spiritualize passages speaking of a future righteous government on earth, of Israel's regathering to Palestine, and of Christ reigning literally upon the earth for a thousand years. Their justification is that these doctrines are absurd and impossible and that therefore they must be spiritualized. The wish is father of the interpretation, therefore, and amillennial interpretation of scripture abundantly illustrates this. While professing to confine spiritualization to prophecy, actually they invade other fields. For instance, they tend to spiritualize Israel to mean the church and make David's throne to be the throne of God in heaven. They hold up to ridicule as extremists those who want to interpret references to Israel literally. As Alice writes with, the cons with considerable inaccuracy, carrying to an amount unprecedented extreme that, that literalism, which is characteristic of the list, they, the Brethren Movement, insisted that Israel must mean Israel and that the kingdom promise in the Old Testament concern Israel and are to be fulfilled to Israel literally. In his zeal to load premillennialists with an extreme position, Alice finds it convenient to forget that the postmillennial Charles Hodge and the amillennial Professor William Hendrickson of Calvin Seminary both, both inter interpret reference to Israel in Scripture as belonging to God's ancient people Israel, not to a Gentile church. Mm. Premillennialists, on the other hand, insist that one general rule of interpretation should be applied to all areas of theology and that prophecy does not require spiritualization any more than any other aspects of truth. They hold that this rule is the literal grammatical historical method. By this, it is meant that a passage should be taken in its literal sense, in keeping with the grammatical meaning of the words and forms. History is history, not allegory. Facts are facts. Prophesied future events are just what they are prophesied. Israel means Israel, earth means earth, and heaven means heaven. And honestly, though, of everything we've said in this whole bit of me horribly stumbling through this article and its big pastor right. man it words. It would be better if I read it. Your mic's off, I think, isn't it? No, it's okay. Uh, I just it can't wouldn't hear you, be I guess. any better if I read it. No, well, probably. But honestly, that's the sum up of this. So you have multiple views that kind of take things in just this spiritualized way and these different things. And, and, and okay, I mean, you can see some of their arguments in the scripture used for these cases. And that's where I think we've always come in all of our study of it's like, but it literally said this, like, the grammatical and historical method that everything here was written with the intention of it, the words are used of, like all of the pieces this was literally saying what it was trying to say and this pick and choose of when things are super spiritualized and when they mean like like jesus rode in on a donkey well did he really ride in a donkey or is that just some spiritualization of it? no right. he rode in on a stinky donkey it was a really, <laughs> like, yeah, that's it was a what he donkey. did yeah yeah he rode in literally and, you know, I mean, just like in Revelation where, you know, you talk about the dragon in Revelation 20, for instance. 
talking about the dragon, and then it explains what the dragon is. Yeah. The dragon is Satan in Revelation 20. So the Bible explains. So is the spiritualization of that, or is it literally Satan? No, it explains it when it inter- let the Bible interpret itself. And when it says God gathers you under his wings like a hen, that doesn't mean he's literally going to tuck you under his wings. That was right. an illustration. And I know I have to. It's so funny how many different doctrines go into this because jumping into it, the replacement theology comes into this, too. And they'll point to the verse of new Israel. And being OK, you know, and, and people will point you to. Okay, we'll see. The new Israel doesn't consist of any Jew or Gentile. It's it's one people, and it's people that believe in Jesus, and that's it. Yeah. And then point to that verse and says, "See, this proves it." Instead of acknowledging, yes, that it's it's people that believe in Christ, yes, that are part of Israel and the new Israel, but it wasn't like this is. New Israel and old Israel that I made my covenant promises with, and that a whole we've bunch now of replaced them because we're the they new are, are done. Yeah. And it also doesn't take away anything from um, the death of Christ either. Absolutely not. So the first point it has here is going through some of the po- problems of the literal method. Attacks on premillennialists, which recognize the central importance of the literal method of interpretation, delight to show that premillennialists do not always interpret scripture literally either. Landis asks, how literal are the literalists? Alice confuses typical with spiritual interpretation and charges that premillennial use of typology destroys the literal principle. He writes, while dispensationalists are extreme literalists, they are very inconsistent ones. They are literalists in an interpreting prophecy, but in the interpreting of history, they carry the principle of typical interpretation to an extreme, which has rarely been exceeded by the most ardent allegorizers. True typical interpretation, of course, always involves literal interpretation first. In drawing typical truth from the Old Testament sacrifices, for instance, the interpreter takes for granted the historical existence of the sacrifice. If Joseph is taken as a type of Christ, his historical life is assumed. It is surprising that a scholar of Alice's proportions should be confused on such a simple hermeneutical distinction. The dispute highlights, however, some of the problems of the use of the literal method. Premillennialists recognize that all scripture cannot be interpreted literally. All areas of theology are sometimes revealed in scripture under symbolic terms. Such passages, however, are usually clearly identified. For instance, the rod out of the stem of Jesse and the branch which shall grow out of the roots is understood by all to refer symbolically to Christ. But when it states that this branch is the one who shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked, it is clear from that context that a literal prophecy of judgment on the wicked in the earth at the second advent is intended, even though some of the expressions are figurative. While the expression rod of his mouth is clearly figurative, such simple expressions as earth in the context of this passage in Isaiah 11 cannot be spiritualized on the same grounds. We are not free to make earth arbitrary or an equivalent for heaven as many amillennialists do, nor can we speak of the regathering of Israel from the four corners of the earth in Isaiah 11:12, as the conversion of Gentiles and the progress of the church. While the expression four corners is figurative, the word earth is not. 
In other words, figures of speech which are clearly identified as such give no warrant whatever to spiritualize words and expressions which can be taken in their ordinary meaning. The literal method sustained by literal fulfillment. The literal method of interpreting, <laughs> interpreting prophecy has been fully justified by the history of fulfillment. The most unlikely prophecies surrounding the birth of Christ, his person, his life and ministry, his death and resurrection, have all been literally fulfilled. The prophetic vision of Daniel, however, couched in symbols and dreams, has had the most concrete fulfillment down to the present hour in the history of Gentile nations. Hundreds, if not thousands of prophecies have had literal fulfillment. A method that has worked with such success in the past is certainly worthy of projection into the future. The interpreter of prophecy has, therefore, no more warrant to spiritualize prophecy than any other area of theology. If the details of the virgin birth, the character of the miracles of Christ, his very words on the cross, his form of execution, the circumstances of his burial, and his resurrection from the dead could be explicitly prophesied in the Old Testament, certainly no reason for rejecting the literal interpretation of prophecy concerning his future righteous government on earth. The literal method is the method recognized in the fulfillment of prophecy and in the mainspring of the premillennial interpretation of the scriptures. But you're right, though, because it is amazing to look at these things and look at these different views, right? When you're trying to weigh what's truth and what's what, right? Like, because every we're just humans trying to figure it out. What's what? Well, did Jesus literally? Was he literally born of a Virgin Mary? Did he literally live his life without sin? Did he literally? Do you right? You can go through his whole life. Right. The fact that he even came, the things that he did, like did he literally do these things? I think we all would agree, like, yes, of course he did, most definitely. Scripture is God's word and it is true and it isn't felt. Like, absolutely, yes, amen. Okay. Then you have that other side that just absolutely doesn't do it that way. And so I don't know, I feel like when you just take things, you know, not that we want to come across as having an agenda with anything, I mean, but when you just take things and you lay them out. I mean, either things work or they don't. Do you know what I mean? As we weigh these things. We had noticed that we got the kids that Rose Book of Charts, remember? Yeah. And they had all of the it's it's an amazing book. I love it. It is such a great resource and it's really inexpensive. It's like under twenty bucks. I think mm. even on Amazon it's like sixteen, seventeen bucks. But it's a really great book. And they have this chart of um, like a breakdown of all the different end times views, essentially. Um, again, just broad spectrum, you know, do they hold a literal place for Israel? Do they do that? You know, kind of with a breakdown of these different things. And it was so interesting because all of these other views essentially have a lot in common, right? Not everything because they're different, but there's a lot of similarity between them, especially when you're looking at it on just a very simplified, you know, chart form. And then you have this one view over here that's like the opposite of every single thing, right, on all of these. And so it's really interesting because it's like, okay, so but either. It seems like it's the only place in scripture where this happens with. Yeah. And so we thought that was, uh, I don't know, I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it So the next point here, the question of relative difficulty of interpret interpreting prophecy. It may be admitted that there are problems in the interpretation of prophecy which are peculiar to this field. While the problems differ in character from the interpretation of history or theological re revelation, they do not consist in the choice of the spiritual or literal interpretation. It is not so much a question of whether the prophecy will be fulfilled, but rather concerning the unrevealed details of time and circumstance. 
why premillennialists have sometimes been guilty of making prophetic interpretation appear as too simple a process, all millennialists have erred in the other direction. After all, interpreting scripture on such subjects as predestination, the decree of God, the doctrine of the Trinity, the person of the incarnate Christ, the sufferings of Christ on the cross, and similar doctrines is certainly difficult even though in the realm of specific revelation and historic fulfillment. The theologian should no more turn to spiritualization of scripture to solve the doctrinal difficulties in these areas than he should spiritualize prophecy to fit a denial of a millennial kingdom on earth. Difficulty or even seeming contradictions is not sufficient justification for spiritualization. If the incongruous elements of the human and the divine in Christ can be accepted literally in spite of their seeming contradiction, the elements of prophecy which may seem confusing should not be sacrificed on the altar of spiritualization to remove the problem that arises from literal interpretation. A general principle guiding the interpretation of prophecy is quite clear in the scripture. The principle is that the whole doctrine of prophecy should be allowed to be the guide for the interpretation of details. The main elements of prophecy are far more clear than some of the details. Difficult passages are often solved by a study of related scriptures. The book of Revelation, while admittedly difficult to, inter to interpret, has its symbol drawn from other portions of scripture, and many questions of interpretation can be answered with the larger context of the entire Bible. The Problem of the Time Element in Prophecy One of the problems of interpretation of prophecy is that it involves time relationships. Events widely separated in fulfillment are often brought together in prophetic vision. Thus, the first coming and the second coming of Christ are pictured in the same scriptural context. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, is quoted in part by Christ in Luke 4, 16 through 19, is an illustration of this. In the quotation in Luke, Christ quoted only the first part of the Isaiah passage, stopping just before the elements that dealt with the second coming. We can therefore expect in Old Testament prophecy the complete spanning of the present age with no inkling of the millennium that separate the first and second advent. On the other hand, when time elements are included, they are intended to be taken literally, hence Daniel's 70 week. They are subject to literal interpretation even though the interval between the 69th and the 70th week is only hinted at by Daniel himself. The rule does not justify spiritualization of that which is specifically revealed. The Problem of Partial Fulfillment This, in a word, is the partial fulfillment of prophecy first, followed by complete fulfillment later. In Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, which are, listen, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. There was fulfillment of the first part of the prophecy in the incarnation, but the prediction that Christ would rule over Israel on the throne of David forever has had no fulfillment. All millennialists have succumbed to the temptation to spiritualize the throne of David. Such an interpretation violates the very integrity of scripture. Many certainly believe the prediction to refer to the literal kingdom on earth prophesied in the Old Testament. A spiritual throne in heaven, God's own throne, is nowise fulfills the prediction. Now the premillennial principles of literal interpretation justified. The general features of premillennial interpretation are therefore evident. Its method is literal interpretation except for figures plainly intended to be symbols. Prophecies are therefore to be taken literally, the exact interpretation following the pattern of the law of fulfillment established by prophecies already fulfilled and in keeping with the entire doctrine. 
right? Because you see time and time again, you read through the prophetic books. Hey, I have this prophecy that this is going to happen. And then guess what? That literally happens. Like it's what's actually going to happen. So we're going to continue to do that with the prophecies that are left and not switch them over to just this over-spiritualization when they never were intended to be used that way in any other time we have, Mm -hmm. you know, any discussion of. Time relationships and prophecy are seen to include the literal interpretation of time elements when given, and at the same time, the prophetic vision is seen to present events widely separated in time in the same revelation. Prophecies fulfilled in part are found to sustain the principle of literal fulfillment with a partial fulfillment first and complete literal fulfillment to follow. Because we see that so often with prophecy when you're reading through. It's like there's these partial fulfillments where like, yeah, technically, I mean, part of that. But then there's this bigger literal fulfillment that, you know, will come afterwards that, you know, is so it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's why sometimes reading through the prophet books, you'll read something and you're like, yeah, I mean, technically that happened with Babylon, happened with this, happened with that, whatever. But then you look at this big picture of this end time scope, and then it's going to be fulfilled in a fuller, you know, spectrum. Right. Prophecy in general must follow the same hermeneutical principles of interpretation which govern other areas of theology, program, and formation in the present age, and a prophetic future all its own, not to be confused with Israel or Old Testament saints. So now the next chunk here um, is the premillennial concept of Israel. And this is that big one again, like you had said earlier, Brandon, is we have people who either the church has replaced Israel and Israel is nothing. They are just sinners like anyone else who hasn't accepted Jesus. Like it doesn't matter. Um, And then there's like this over obsession with Israel and these Zionists that it just we worship the ground that any Israeli walks on and Israel is just holy no matter what which Israel is holy but the as far as the modern state of what we have there right now they are there in absolute unbelief all of their prosperity is nothing to do with them it's all about God um, and what he's doing for them even in their unbelief correct yeah and that's the important part of it is that they are in unbelief and Yes. This is a promise to return them from Ezekiel, Jeremiah. So there have been, in the main, three interpretations of the theological concept of Israel in Protestant theology. One of these, which can be identified with John Calvin, is the idea that the church is the true Israel and therefore inherits Israel's promises. This is the viewpoint advocated by all millennialists. Alice considers it the only possible all millennialist position. It considers Israel nationally and individually set aside forever and his promises of blessings transferred to the church. Under this concept, there is no future hope for Israel whatsoever. And the fact that some of these groups hold to these things is this is the absolute only way this can happen. These are when you have heard Brandon make statements like complete garbage, heretical, heretical. false, right. you know, all that, of those things. Because that's exactly what that is, is yeah. because that comes with a complete ignorant understanding of old testament prophecy and you i mean the amount of things that you have to throw out in order for to that, make that to work fit, yeah um, or explain away in some twisted something again you no longer can take god's word literally at his word which you wouldn't do with any other part. So why do we do that here? It doesn't make sense, but that's what we just discussed. So some amillennialists, such as Professor William Hendrickson and some conservative postmillennialists, such as Charles Hodge, hold that Israel's promise of blessings will be fulfilled to those in Israel in the flesh who come to Christ and become part of the Christian church. The promises are to be fulfilled then to Israel, but to Israel in the church. Hodge takes this 
as a final triumph of the gospel and even envisions some regathering of Israel for this purpose. Under both of those forms of interpretation, no post-Advent kingdom is required to fulfill Israel's promises. All will be fulfilled in the present age. Which again, you see that and it's like, okay, I mean, that sounds good in theory, but I don't know where scripturally we're backing that up with. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, they have their arguments. Um, sure. Because you can take just a few verses I here and there and make any that argument. They hold up at all, but I mean, they have them. So it is clear, however, to all that many of the promises cannot be literally applied to present earth conditions. Two expedients are followed by the all-millennial and post-millennial interpretation. Some promises are canceled as having been conditional in the first place. Others are spiritualized to fit the pattern of the present age. This interpretation is based upon a somewhat contradictory set of principles. One view is that the promises to Israel were never intended to be taken literally and hence are rightly spiritualized to fit the church. Don't know where you get that. The other is that they were literal enough but canceled because of Israel's sin. The concept of Israel prevailing among all millennialists and postmillennialists is therefore confused and inherently contradictory. There does not seem to be any norm or central consistency except in their denial of a political and national future for Israel after the second advent. What unity exists in their system rests upon this denial. That really is what so much I think this is the more and more because you study into this all the time and you listen to amazing teachers debate on this and talk about this. And it, you're right. It's so funny because everything will have such an order and such a reliable track record for so long. And then once you get to this, it's like, well, but not like that. Well, you know, and all of a sudden these things start changing and it's like, okay, so either it is or it isn't, you know, it's like this big curveball that gets thrown in. Mm -hmm. The premillennial view concerning Israel is quite simple. The prophecies given to Israel are viewed as literal and unconditional. God has promised Israel a glorious future, and this will be fulfilled after the second advent, the second coming of Christ. Israel will be a glorious nation, protected from her enemies, exalted above the Gentiles, the central vehicle of the manifestation of God's grace in the millennial kingdom. In the present age, Israel has been set aside, her promises held with no progress in the fulfillment of her program. The postponement is considered no more difficult than the delay of 40 years in entering the promised land. Promises may be delayed in fulfillment, but not canceled. All concede that a literal interpretation of Israel's promises in the Old Testament present just such a picture. Again, it resolves into a problem of literal interpretation, and the defense of this interpretation is reasonable and consistent. The preservation of Israel as a racial entity and the resurrection of Israel as a political entity are twin miracles of the 20th century which are in perfect accord with the premillennial interpretation. The doctrine of Israel remains one of the central features of premillennialism. Which obviously it does, and that's why isn't yeah, it, that's why I isn't said it Andy Woods when he says people ask why do I hold to this viewpoint or how do I know it's true or something like that, and he says the Jewish people. Yeah, yeah. Is that how it is? Yeah. But you look much. at it and it's like, again, I mean, before you look at some of these, you know, Calvin, these other people that they totally held to this like amillennial view for so Luther, long. And it's like, okay, Luther. our Luther, yeah. I could get in those times where you landed there mm-hmm. until 1947. Mm-hmm. And so what's our excuse now since then? for not seeing what's literally unfolding right before our eyes. And that's why we love, you know, the Watchman and his news reports and J.D. Farrakh and his weekly prophecy updates. I mean, you look at all these 
seemingly obscure prophecies of the Old Testament, even in the New, and you look at these things, you're like, oh my gosh, that's literally happening right before our eyes. Mm. Like, what are the odds that these countries even exist? These countries are even coming up against each other. These countries, you know what I mean? All of these different conditions are just so happened to be all happening at the same time in increased frequency and intensity. That's crazy. Yeah. Gravity ended up um, close. Yep, just about the premillennial concept of the second advent. The general facts concerning the premillennial viewpoint and the second advent are well known. Premillennialists hold to a literal, bodily, visible, and glorious return of Christ to the earth, fulfilling the many scriptural prophecies of this event. They hold that this event is the occasion for the deliverance and judgment of Israel, the downfall and judgment of the Gentiles, the inauguration of the kingdom of righteousness on earth. In contrast to both amillennialists and postmillennialists, they hold that the coming of Christ is before the millennium. Satan is bound at this time. The curse of sin is lifted from the material world. Righteousness, peace, and prosperity become the rule. Jerusalem becomes the capital for the whole world. The kingdom continues for 1,000 years and then is merged into eternity, attended by catastrophic events. The destruction of the present earth and heavens, the judgment of the wicked dead who are then raised, the establishment of all the saints and of, from all the ages, and the new earth and new heavens. All of these events are interpreted literally by the premillennialists and constitute the blueprint of things to come. Which is funny because if you look at the new age ideal of this one earth, one love... They're laying the groundwork for the Antichrist, but that is literally what this millennial reign is. This is your peace on earth because we are being ruled by the mighty Jesus Christ and, you know, all of that. It's like, that's what you guys are truly longing for. You just refuse to accept Christ. Premillennialists often distinguish between the second advent and the rapture of the church. Usually scripture is interpreted to sustain the teaching that the rapture comes before the tribulation time, separated from the second advent by a period of about seven years. Some few hold that the rapture comes in the middle of the tribulation, the mid-tribulation theory. Others hold to the post-tribulation view, which identifies the rapture with the second advent proper, which we're not getting into that, but... It should be clear from this survey of the field that premillennialist is a distinct system of theology. Opponents of premillennialism are right in part when they charge that premillennialist is essentially different from all other forms of theology. The chief differences arise in eschatology, hermeneutics, and hermeneutics, sorry, and ecclesiology. Opponents of premillennialists are wrong when they claim that premillennialism is new, modern, or heretical. Even partisans in the millennial argument usually agree that premillennialists are evangelical, true to biblical doctrines, and opposed to modern defections from the faith of our fathers. Yeah, that was, I mean, I think that was a pretty good defense of it in context of what it actually is. And then... I mean, defending the view, period, is done throughout all of the Old Testament, throughout still all of the prophets. You look in Daniel, Jeremiah, Amos, Joel, um, Isaiah, of course. I think the one most interesting one that kind of sticks out to me is the prophecy that's in Isaiah 63. Um, it's Isaiah 63, 2 through, it's 2 and 3. But it's, why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I've trodden the winepress alone from the peoples. No one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. 
their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained my, all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drink in my wrath, and I poured out the lifeblood on the earth. And then you go over to, and that was Isaiah 63, and I read a little bit further on that. I read all the way down to verse 6, but then um, Revelation 19, 11, we see the white horse coming, which is Christ coming in. This, this is the second coming to establish this kingdom but then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God so the robe dipped in blood exactly matched with Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 63. Absolutely. Where Isaiah <clears throat> prophesies that the Lord will trample down his enemies and his robe is dipped in human blood. It's from human from trampling his enemy. And so I think that's, to me, that's a huge... And that's probably the biggest one that comes to mind. One of my favorite ones. And I'm like, well, how can you not see that in the Old Testament? This is clearly talking about this time in Revelation. No, this has nothing to do with the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD in Revelation. No, unfortunately, the Revelation wasn't even written yet. But that was like one of my favorite examples of it. And I think the third part we'll do it we'll do on this is I wanted to fit in another um, source here that had scripture references for all this. But since we've gone so far on this time, we'll just do a part three of this one where we'll go over. I don't know why you keep numbering. There's going to be like 100 of these. <laughs> well, it's because these, yeah, these I want to keep these in order, you know to the other ones but on the next one we'll do the millennial kingdom scriptures and prophecies of the kingdom and we'll do that from a and show the passages and prophecies in scripture so hopefully this was helpful. Mm -hmm. Hopefully me stumbling all over the article wasn't completely confusing to everyone. I apologize. It was better than if I would have done it. Um, I think it was good, and, and we'll I hope it helped, it and I hope you. it made sense. Anyways. We'll link it to you. But if yeah. any of these are bringing up any specific questions, or like, huh, what about the or mm -hmm. any of that, I'm not trying to fight everybody on the internet, but if you have serious questions and you're trying to weigh all of these things, please do not hesitate to ask. So you can go to sure. aphomechurch.com, contact us on there, and you know we'll be happily happy to include those um, on these other ones that we're doing. But yep. yeah, anything else you want to add? Nope. Alrighty. Thanks.